Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. Busy Living Sober. Episode 193 with Ryan Kane. Hey, Ryan. Hi, Busy. How are you? I'm doing great. You're doing Surviving. great. <laughs> In these crazy times, huh? Yeah, definitely. Unprecedented times for sure. It's challenging at times, can it be? You know, it's already, life in general is challenging, you know, but like this is next level stuff. We're all just trying to figure out. I think it's been great for us in recovery. It really makes us go one day at a time, right? For sure. Yeah. Well, we always have that killer that's out there, right? Like we already had, like we, we didn't need COVID. We <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm used to this. I'm, this feels comfortable to me. <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> so will you tell us about your story? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, I, I've been in recovery since April Fool's Day, 2012. And um, I had, uh, you know, really had a very, I would say, world on the outside looking in, worldly perspective and very nice life. I had the, I had the things, you know, I had a very good career in healthcare. I had uh, a beautiful wife, two children, nice cars, nice house. Um, everything, all the happiness that was promised me, I had gathered all the things, you know? And um, since the age of 17 to, to about 34, um, I, had, I was completely empty emotionally on the inside. It was just a giant void. Um, that I tried to fill up with, with those things. You know, I, I tried to check the boxes of life to, to guarantee that I was going to be okay and happy. And uh, the ironic part is the more I had, the more pressure I felt and the emptier I was. Uh, the, the further away I got from my true authentic self um, because I listened to what the world was telling me that if I do these things, then I'll be happy. And um, <clears throat> the entire time I tried to collect those things, I was pushing my true self away. And, and before you knew it, I was completely lost. I had nothing, um, of real value. And, um, you know, I had no real friends. I had no relationship with my children. My marriage is falling apart. Um, you know, and they say that you know, we hear this in the rooms a lot, that anything you put before your sobriety, you're going to lose. And, I'd put everything in front of my sobriety. So um, I lost everything and it was, you know, it wasn't a, uh, a tragedy. It was, um, you know, of course at the time when I lost everything, I thought this is the worst day of my life. And looking back, you know, eight years later, I am so grateful that that stuff happened to me, you know? Um, but I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and I had uh, two loving parents that are still married today, 40, five years, 46 years and, um, have a younger brother. And we just had a pretty run of the mill, um, life, you know, middle, upper middle class and went to a private Christian school. So I had, I got on my side, you know, and, um, I was fairly popular in school and, um, played sports and just did all the things, you know, um, alcoholism runs in my family. Um, my grandfather, his brother, were, were both alcoholics. It skipped my father and went straight to me. 
Um, but, but at an early age, when I had my first drink at, at 13 years old, I was, um, man, that made me feel really good, really quick. And, um, I got very sick that night, but as I was throwing up, I knew that I was going to do this again because the way it made me feel for that, you know, little 20 minute window of euphoria that I had. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that I began pursuing it on a daily basis until I was 17, but, but it, I, it, it was a thing for me, you know, um, at 17, the reason that was a pivot point for me was because I had a, uh, an injury in sports and I was prescribed medication for that. Okay. So once I had that, um, everything became better. Everything. I was taller. I was better looking. I was funnier. Um, I could tolerate the teacher's BS, you know, like all the things in my life were better. Um, that's when I started really pursuing that euphoria every day. Um, and it wasn't for about a decade later till I realized that um, I was starting to get some consequences from this stuff. You know, um, I thought it was, I would rationalize it. You know, I'd, I'd almost get arrested or DUI or, I'd break up with a girl or um, I'd get reprimanded at work um, or not be prepared for a test at school. And I would always rationalize why. And I could never get down to the root cause, which was my, my use, my drinking or my drugs were, were really at the end of the day, what was holding me back. And um, as we all know in recovery, the thing that was holding me back was also my survival mechanism. So it's just this sick cycle where I was like, I have to have this thing that is killing me and holding me back. And, um, I just, it took, it took me about five years of, um, towards the end where I knew I had a problem before I knew what to do about it, you know? Um, and that was probably the darkest part. It, it's so crazy, right? Cause when we're in it, it's like, it's our lifeline, right? It's like our best friend. It's like, it's kind of like God for us in a lot of ways, right? Because it's like, that was the answer. When you were describing that first time when you were 13, that's when I picked up for the first time. And I had come from a very chaotic background. My childhood was very chaotic, a lot of drama. So when I had that first drink, it was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to feel anymore. I don't have to feel wow, this is awesome. Yeah. Sign me right. up. I don't care if I'm sick. It felt good. I didn't have to think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing that, you know, they say we, we pursue it into insanity or death, you know, and, and it, there is not a better word than to say insane for what I was doing, because the one thing I couldn't do was the one thing I couldn't do without. And it's just endless loop. And, you know, when I think of the day I got arrested, uh, March 30th and um, it was the worst day because I knew my marriage was probably going to be over because my secrets were out. My, my business was going to be affected because of the nature of the charges. Um, it was my son's fourth birthday. Mm -hmm. I was in jail. Um, I'd never been arrested before. It was in the newspaper you know, it was the whole thing. And it, it was the perfect storm. It, God could not have done it any better. I had no more outs, no more lies, no more secrets. It was just all out there and it was devastating, but it was so necessary to, to, to truly break apart so I could be rebuilt. And I had no other option, but to try a different way of life and I was lucky enough to find recovery. 
it's so, you know, it's crazy because you think about what you just described. Okay, now the entire town knows. I'm sure, you know, Nashville's not a huge city, right? So everybody sees these front pages and the humility, right? Like that humble, uh, you're like, oh my God, the gig is up. Yeah. I totally have been found out. And we think from that, like, it's like the Phoenix, like you grew, like you came out of that and you're like, you know what? This is, the gig is up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And how light I felt. I felt um, it was a different kind of euphoria. It was one that I had not realized the weight I had been carrying for years and not having to carry that burden of pretending to be someone I'm not, you know, um, pretending to have it all figured out, have it all together, um, to be able to, to be raw and real and tell another man I'm scared. I'm lost. Help me. Like that's so hard for a man um, in the South, especially to, to be emotional. You know, what, what my parents taught me about being a man was not being emotional. It was being the man of the house and taking care of business, you know, and um, it was just so freeing to be able to be around other people in recovery, just walking into the rooms of, I was in AA and going into the rooms and seeing the, the laughter and the camaraderie and the hugs. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I'd had a real hug in my life, you know? And you said something that's huge, which has helped me. It is so hard for people to say that, isn't it? To say, help me. I mean, to yeah. say, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I'm hurting. And can you help me? How hard is, like, we don't teach our kids that, right? We don't say, right. by the way, when you're feeling like you need help, go ahead and raise your hand. We're like, right. no, you got this. You got this. When we don't got anything. <laughs> right, right. And, and again, I, all I knew is that my best thinking got me nowhere. Um, and it took practice to ask for help. The, the first time, you know, asking for help to go into the rooms and I ended up going to treatment. Again, it, w it wasn't so much of my choice as it was God's choice put before me where I, I had no other way. Um, but that was the beginning. It was like a spark to say, okay, asking for help got me this. So then it was not as big an ask the next time I asked for help. It wasn't as scary. Right. And it wasn't, a, and I wasn't asking for as much, you know what I mean? Like it was, Hey, I'm going to a business dinner for the first time. What do I do? I, I don't know how to, to not drink and they're going to be ordering wine. And what happens when the waiter comes to me and being able to ask someone in recovery, well, how did you do it? Was, was extremely powerful. And then it became like, I want more. Tell me, tell me more. How did you find God? How did you make amends? How did you do this? You know, like I, I got a, I had a thirst for recovery. It's so, you know, I say all the time, like I wanted to be sober more than I wanted to be drunk. Right. So when these people said you're going to do these things and for me, I was single and they're like, you're not going to date for a year. And I'm like, wait, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm always with somebody. I can't be by myself. Wait a minute. I got to get a guy. And they were like, no, you're going to do this by yourself, you know, and you're yeah. going to just walk with us. And um, I attribute a lot of it to like, you know, that first year and how you said you went to your first business dinner. You know, it's like planting the tree, right? Like if I plant a tree really sturdy, like that first year and I kind of, I'm not going to say I fell in love with myself because it did not, it took longer than a year from, yeah. 
I mean, I'm a couple days shy of 14 years and I can't say that I totally really love myself all that much. Let's be honest. But I work at it all the time. But that whole, like taking that time to realize how do I walk through these things? It's like feeding your, it's like taking care of your tree, right? Like you put the fertilizer on it, water it each day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, it was the same. Like I had to figure out, you know, what were the things that I really wanted? You know, um, I, I'd lived, I mean, I don't know another way to say it. It was like someone else's life. Um, and I, I, I longed to do it different. Um, I had to really come to grips with the fact that the past is the past. You're not going to change it. But what I do with today can be different. And I had to reevaluate literally every aspect of my life to be the, the authentic guy I really wanted to be that I had the capacity to be, but I didn't know how. And that not knowing how was the part where I, I could lean on other people in the program who had no agenda other than to help me with just doing that. They, it wasn't, you know, as much as we love our families, our family, you know, how many times parents say, well, he's going to be a doctor, he's going to be a lawyer. And they set these bars that are just, they're fake. And, and as a child, we take those and assume that if we don't do those things, we're failures. And going into these rooms with people and saying, you know, I don't know what I want to do. I've been doing healthcare for 14 years and I hate it. And they're like, well, why are you doing it? I say, I don't know. You know, and, and the car I drove, like, why did I drive the car I drove? It was to impress my neighbors who I never talked to, you know? Um, so, I, you know, I started having to reevaluate everything I do with my life, the type of people I choose to associate with and the things I even talk about or watch on TV why do I do those things? If it, and I became addicted to feeding my soul and, and, you know, helping other alcoholics or addicts is a huge part of that. Um, the, the fellowship has just been the most phenomenal part for me of just surrounding myself daily um, with people that really are, we're all swimming in the same direction, maybe not at the same speed, but we're all trying, you know, and that's just something that's really, it just felt very comfortable and natural for me from day one. Now tell me this, because I know I've heard from other men and tell me how your experience went with this. When it was like time to ask somebody to be your sponsor and you're like, wait a minute. And for those that don't know that are listening, a sponsor is somebody who helps guide you. They're like your, they're like your tour guide through AA in the very beginning. And they give you suggestions. Yep. Sometimes they're harsher than other ones. But it's a really weird feel. I mean, I know it was hard for me for, as a woman to ask another woman, but I know for men, because it's that whole dance, like I'm yeah. going to ask a guy if he's going to have this relationship with me and I don't even really know him. And this is just, how will you tell? Because I know that's a big thing for men. How did that go for you? What was it like? Share with us that story, will you? Yeah, of course. It was a uh, vivid, vivid memory for me. I was in this meeting. I'd been told that I had to get a sponsor. Um, a guy shared. I was like, "That I like what he said." <clears throat> so after the meeting, I, I he knew what I wanted, you know, um, but I didn't know how to do it. And I just said, "Hey, you know, maybe we could just, if you're willing to take me on as maybe a temporary sponsor." I was like, I, "I'm supposed to get one," and he said, "Yeah, I'd, I'd love to help you out." He said, "Would you, would you be willing to call me every day?" And I said, I think so. Yeah. And I said, why? And he said, just call me and we'll talk. So I called him and I didn't know what to say. And we talked for about 10 minutes. Um, 
and he said, I'll tell you what, this is a program of action. And he said, so um, what are you doing tonight? I said, I, I don't know. I was not, nothing planned. And he said, well, meet me in the Target parking lot, and we're going to go do service work. And I said, what's service work? And he said, don't worry about it. Just, just meet me, you know, 6 o'clock, whatever. It's Target. So I pull into the Target, and he's in this minivan. And I was like, what am I doing? There's a strange man in the Target parking lot in a minivan. I was like, this, what is happening? What has my life become? And it felt really awkward. But I got in the van, and he drove me down to this psych ward. And I said, what am I, I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing. And he said, well, I've, you know, I've been sober seven years. Um, I want you to come tell them about your last four weeks, what, how you've been able to do four weeks. And that was the first time that the light bulb went off for me that, uh, you know, I do have something to bring to people. I I'd felt very small and very lost and having a guy that I had looked up to in the meeting say, I want you to share your story because it's valuable to someone else was really a neat experience. And, um, it it took me a while to get over the hug thing. Um, that's another piece is like hugging another man. (laughs) He just met and took me a minute to get over again. It's just new. And I wasn't, wasn't brought up that way to, to be emotional with other men. But, um, you know, my sponsor really got me through some very, very, dark difficult times and um uh, you know he's not my sponsor today he's my friend but you know we still talk about how pivotal he was in my recovery um we went through the first five steps together and uh just an amazing man that's awesome thanks so much for sharing that so tell us what did that marriage end up staying or did it dissolve my marriage with your wife your, my wife it, it dissolved so we um so you that got the, through that sober yeah so i got served divorce papers uh i was um six weeks sober and oh. i had not been living in my house i'd been living at my parents house while i figured out what was going to happen with my marriage and um she filed and um that was probably the closest i ever came to to relapse was that night my family um Again, not alcoholic, but they have a, a wine cellar and a bar and they're asleep and I'm up all night because I can't sleep stressing about this thing. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to go tie one on and no one will blame me because, you know, this is intense stuff and I'm early recovery. And um, all I can say is that God was there for me because it's, there was a message that just said, hey, this is how you got here. That's like the one thing you can't do. And. I didn't that night. I, I stayed up and I went and bought a pack of cigarettes and I smoked and smoked and smoked until I was sick. And I went to bed and I woke up the next day and I went to my meeting and I, I could not wait to tell everyone in the meeting, I'm getting divorced so I could get all this love. And everyone just kind of goes, yeah, okay. And I was like, what? This is huge. And they're like, you know, it's sad, but like, welcome to the club. You know, just another consequence of, of my actions. And and again, I think that, that I don't want to call it indifference, but that low, low response from the group, again, just right-sized me. Like it wasn't about me. It wasn't about the divorce. It was just about what am I going to do with today? And even being able to share about it on this podcast is, you know, there's a reason it happened, you know? Um, 
I have a great relationship with my ex today. We co-parent very well. We split custody. We talk daily. It's great. She's remarried and I'm um, very happy with the way that, that our relationships turned around, but it didn't happen quickly. You know, it was, it was rocky for a long time. It is just for one, congrats, getting through that is amazing and not picking up is huge. And it's true. I feel like when we go into the rooms, it's not like they want to be like, all right, we're going to make this a soap opera. Let's take this drama to the next level. They're like, yeah, we've been there, done that next. <laughs> right. Right. It was just my day to talk about it. That's all. Exactly. And it's like yeah. what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, fortunately right. or unfortunately. Right. Right. Yeah, to think about how fragile I was before the the rooms and before recovery, I, I would have had a drink, you know, if my my football team had lost. I would have had a drink if my football team had won. <laughs> you know, I would I would have had a drink if I was had a big presentation the next day, or I'd have a drink if I got the deal. It didn't matter. And to get to the point where one of the worst things I could have imagined happens to me in, in getting divorce papers filed and not drink over it. I mean, that's a miracle. An absolute miracle. And you were living yeah. in your parents' house at, you know, and you're like, what am I doing here? So what yeah. is your life like today? Tell us what you're doing today. Wow. Um, well, it, it took a huge change, a big turn with my career. I, I'm, I'm no longer in, in traditional hospital healthcare. I'm in behavioral health and I run a program called the Nashville Recovery Center. And it's essentially a, um, a couple parts of it. It's a treatment center for um, substance use, mental health. But it's more importantly, it's a, a community center as well. So we have um, anyone in recovery and, or anyone looking as interested in recovery can come to this place. And it's basically a, a giant garage that we've converted into uh, essentially a rec center with you know, TVs, pool tables, a coffee shop. Uh, we have therapists there. We have concerts. We've got all kinds of events that happen. Um, we had 25,000 people last year come to our place um, in 2019 for just, you know, events. You know, uh, we've had, you know, famous musicians come through there putting on concerts for fundraisers. Um, we had several hundred 12-step meetings last year happen there. Uh, so it's just a, my life today is about a community. Um, I, I took that wonderful feeling I had for my home group and just expanded it and made it a Nashville recovery center and said, I want everybody to come here and feel what I'm feeling. And we, we make it open, um, pretty much to anyone, any time of day, about 80% of what we do doesn't cost anything. You can come in and, and just hang out and meet your sponsor or fellowship or play pool or watch a game. Um, but then we decided that, you know, there are people that need some, some clinical help as well. So we started the clinical program where we have outpatient treatment we have PHP and IOP and, uh, and then therapy for people, um, that's available if they want that level of care. Um, but the idea for me was just my life became about recovery and it's just been, um, one miracle after another, just, just being able to do what I'm doing with you right now for my living is so great. And it's, it's just like, it's never ending. Like the surprises and the, the people I get to meet is just, it just fills me up every day. 
It's um, isn't it amazing, Ryan, just to be able to give back. Yeah. Let people know for one that they're not alone, because yeah. I remember, and it sounds like you kind of felt the same way. Like you could have been in a room with like thousands of people, and you still felt all alone, and it was just you and that drink, and just going, "Oh my God, this just feel the feelings are just overwhelming," right? Right, right. I mean, it's um, I keep going back to my my own journey because that's the one I know, and knowing how alone I was towards the end of my use, knowing how I felt a little different early in recovery because the, the people in the rooms were laughing and they knew each other and I kind of still felt like an outcast, like I didn't belong. And, um, but something was very intriguing about it, you know, and they call it the attraction, not promotion. I was certainly attracted to whatever they were doing. I wanted it. And so when we built the Nashville Recovery Center, we wanted that barrier to be lifted yeah. we wanted it out and we wanted to say hey just come as you are even if you're not sober come check it out because there's something about the human connection not just you know i do 12 steps or i do celebrate recovery or i you know go to church and decide not to drink because of that like whatever your thing is that's okay we're all human and we all long for that connection and and to me the the real challenge is getting away from the worldly stuff and being more authentic and being the person that you really know you are on the inside and being okay with it on the outside. That's the struggle, right? Um, and, and that's what we want to invite people just to come as you are and, and uh, you know, your gender, your age, your sexuality, your sober status, your religious beliefs. Like we don't care. Come on in. We're all broken. You fit in, you know? I want to come. What's yeah. going on with them with COVID? Is it like affected it as what's going on with COVID? Are you allowed to be open or what's going on with that? Well, yes and no. So we were very early to shut it down to the public because we do have uh, 30 some odd people that live on our property and are in our programming clinically. So we wanted to keep everyone safe there. Then when, uh, I would say in May or June, when things started kind of lifting from phase one to phase two and whatever phase we're on now, I don't know, but we, we started allowing some people to come and hold 12-step meetings because Zoom meetings were effective to a point, but a lot of us really needed more connection. So we started allowing the public to hold a handful of meetings and doing, you know, putting in some um, safety measures like wearing masks and being six feet apart. So we had to limit group sizes somewhat. Um, we've now, uh, gotten to where we have at least one meeting every day of the week with different fellowships. So we, we have heroin anonymous, narcotics anonymous, AA, CA, um, we have gender specific meetings. We have LGBTQ meetings that are happening. Um, we have an eating disorder meeting now. So community starting to kind of come wake back up a little bit and start doing some things in person. We're not doing concerts. We, we typically have a concert every Friday night, so we're not doing those yet. Uh, we're not having big events or anything like that yet, but um, the basics are being covered. You know, the, the meetings are happening, and to me that's the most important service that we offer the community is just having a safe place to get together and physically connect with, with other people, not just on your phone. <laughs> well, I want to say this. The next time you have a concert, I want to come. I want to come yeah. for next benefit. I'm coming because then I can travel hopefully by that. I mean, I, I can drive there. I'm not that far in Florida or from Pennsylvania. 
Yeah, you should. And we have, you know, we have open mic nights too, Busy. So if you want to come show us what you got. <laughs> I don't think they want me to sing. But Brian, it's been so awesome. And what you're doing is amazing. I want to commend you. Um, congratulations on everything you're doing. I, I can feel the hope just through this screen like it's you're just you're doing it you're doing it and you're making people feel loved because that's what we're all about right is right. making people feel loved till they love themselves you know you're a warrior yep. thanks so much okay so my one last question is how do you stay busy living sober oh man i'm i'm a, a man of routine today so <laughs> i have to spend a little time every day uh, meditating connecting with my higher power. I have to spend a little time with my physical health. Um, so I'm like a puppy dog. I have to get out, get my energy out. Um, I try to talk to another person in recovery every day about recovery things. And then I spend a, a good portion of my time working, you know, just doing what I get paid to do. Uh, and then sleep. Sleep's very important to me. So I'm I like to describe myself as a gremlin. I don't know if a lot of people know what gremlins are nowadays. It seems like it's an old movie, but you know, if I, if I, if I'm fed after midnight, if I get wet, you know, th things can go sideways for me. So I'm a creature of habit today. And I know that, you know, I need a little spiritual time. I need a little physical activity. I need to be productive and I need some sleep every day. I love that. I love yeah. that. Well, will you come back when you have your, when you're like when you're going to talk about your next benefit? Will you come back on? You'll like email me, and we'll just do like a quick let everybody know. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to do that. I would love that. Thank you so much again for coming on. It's been a pleasure getting to know you via Zoom. <laughs> yeah, thanks, busy. This is awesome. Thanks so much, Ryan, and everybody. Until next time, keep getting busy, living sober. Bye bye.